Excellent. If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started in just a moment here. Shannon and I were reflecting on uh, December 26th through the 30th, and uh, she showed me a, a meme where it said that there, somebody's looking forward to eating a vegetable again when they enter into the new year. And uh, we kind of laughed about that <laughs> together. Um, open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're going to really cover the ground from Deuteronomy chapter 33 through 34. This will be our last message in the book of Deuteronomy. And here on this last Sunday morning of uh, 2018, we will have completed a Pentateuch together as a local church and preaching through that throughout this year. It's been such a joy doing this together with you. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading God's word here together with you this morning. And so Deuteronomy 32 Um, We're going to actually begin reading in verse 48 of 32 to set up some context as we head into 33 and 34. So if you have your Bibles, your phones, um, open those up and and let's read God's word carefully together uh, this morning. Let's begin in verse 48. That very day, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up this mountain of the Arabim. Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die on the mountain which you go up, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at His right hand. What an awesome image of God and His angels and the power of the Lord there in verse 2. Verse 3. This is precious. Yes, He loved His people. All His holy ones were in His hand. So they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you when Moses commanded us the law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob. Thus the Lord became king in Jeshurun when the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Let Reuben live and not die, but let his men be few. And this he said of Judah, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him in to his people with your hands. Contend for him. And be a help against his adversaries. And of Levi he said, Give to Levi your thummim and your Urim to your godly one, whom you tested at Massa, with whom you quarreled the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and hold burnt offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, his substance, and accept the work of his hands. Crush the loins of his adversaries and those who hate him, that they rise not again. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. 
The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. And of Joseph, he said, Blessed by the Lord be his land with the choicest gifts of heaven above and the deep that crouches beneath with the choicest fruits of the sun and the rich yield of the months with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwells in the bush. May these rest on the head of Joseph, on the pate of him who is prince among his brothers. A firstborn bull, he has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples, all of them, to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim, Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. And of Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call peoples to their mountain. There they offer right sacrifices, for they draw from the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the land. And of Gad, he said, Blessed be he who enlarges Gad. Gad crouches like a lion. He tears off arm and scalp. He chose the best of the land for himself, for there a commander's portion was reserved. And he came with the heads of the people, with Israel. He executed the justice of the Lord and his judgments for Israel. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's cub that leaps from Bashan. And of Naphtali, he said, Oh, Naphtali, sated with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the lake and the south. And of Asher, he said, Most blessed of sons be Asher. Let him be the favorite of his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Your bars shall be iron and bronze and as your days, so shall your strength be. There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help. I'll let this just sink in deep, church. Through the skies in His majesty, the eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And He thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine whose heavens dropped down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you shall tread upon their backs. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. Promise made, promise kept. I have let you see it with your eyes. God speaking to Moses here. But you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor 
unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. The title of the message this morning is From Moses to Joshua. From Moses to Joshua. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, as we read your word together, we can't help but see how precious your words are to our hearts, Lord. Thank you so much that in the midst of the late chapters of Deuteronomy, there's such deep and sweet consolation to not just the souls of the people of Israel during that time, but your word is living and active. It's alive right now. It's to lay hold of us, your people, right now in the moment. And I pray that you would impress each one of us who have believed in Christ with the depth of your love and your care for us. And also, Lord, I pray that you would convict us of sin. You would turn our hearts in repentance and in faith and with fresh zeal to serve you as we look at the example here of Moses. And as we complete the Pentateuch this morning, we just want to thank you for your faithfulness to us as a local church in 2018. We love you, Lord. And we're so looking forward to what you've got for us in the year ahead. It's going to be wonderful. Because you're going to be leading us. And we love that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's so good to be together with you here. And I do have the laser pointer today and I have a couple of fun maps for you to see. So if you could put the first one up, uh, <coughs> just by way of context, this site here, and there's a couple pictures that I have, is of uh, Mount Nebo looking toward the West Bank and the Jordan Valley, the Jordan River Valley um, from the top of Mount Nebo. Um, it's about 700 meters high, Mount Nebo is. This is the mountain where Moses climbed and saw the promised land. If we could have the next uh, picture as well. Um, this is a shot here looking a little bit um, off to the south, but in the same general direction. You can see this. This has got good detail. You can see a mountain range over on the other side here, the high ground on the other side of the Jordan River Valley. Right here, you can probably see in the back a little bit, is the Dead Sea. So you can see the Dead Sea. It's about 16 miles away from the top of Mount Nebo here, looking to the Dead Sea. And then, um, if you can put the next one up. Um, this shot here is a little bit more expansive, but there's the Dead Sea again from the previous picture. And you can see off in the distance, 28 and a half miles away, Jerusalem. On a clear day, with binoculars, you can actually see some of the buildings. And here... Closer, about 17 miles away, 
is the town of Jericho. And that is where we're going when we enter into Joshua. So the people of Israel right now are on the east bank of the Jordan River. And when we head into Joshua, we're going to really experience the, the fulfillment of the promise that the Lord made to Abram many years before. And now it's being fulfilled uh, from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee over here. It's about a 90-mile uh, trek, and that's where Jesus grew up. So, I mean, right across this river valley and through this expanse, you just have so much history, and you can go there uh, to this day. It's still a very popular tourist attraction to go and to see this spot where uh, it seems Moses probably looked over and saw the Promised Land. So that's just that's just so cool, isn't it? I just love that. So um, uh, you can put the next slide up as well. Um, here is about where um, that Mount Nebo is, looking down 16 miles down to the Dead Sea, and then 17 miles to Jericho, and then 28 and a half miles over to Jerusalem. So that gives you a little bit of a sense of uh, the distance and, and what was involved there. Um, and then I think I think there's one more. Is there one more? Yeah, this is the, the 12 tribes and where they settled. Um, it's so cool. In the blessings, one of the reasons why I wanted to read all the blessings to you, if you look at the detail where Moses is sent, he's blessing, but he's also prophesying about Naphtali being set up by the sea. That's by the Sea of Galilee where Jesus and the disciples did their fishing. Uh, Naphtali is, is prophesied to be set up by uh, the sea there. And you have uh, Judah and Simeon and uh, Reuben and Gad, Manasseh up to the north. Um, in Judah, you have Benjamin here. And then Ephraim and uh, Manasseh are the two sons of Joseph. So you don't typically hear Joseph mentioned as one of the tribes once you start talking about land getting a portion. That's because Ephraim and Manasseh take over as the two sons of Joseph. And Actually, Simeon, you see, drop out. So there's no blessing for Simeon uh, mentioned in Deuteronomy 33 here. Uh, he, uh, Moses mentions Judah. That's because in time, Simeon, in accordance with uh, Genesis chapter 49, when it talks about Simeon be, being assimilated into the people, um, into the future, um, they were assimilated into the people of Judah. Uh, and then you have Manasseh, Zebulun, Naphtali, and Asher, on the coast, in Issachar, right to the south of the Sea of Galilee. So those are the 12 tribes, kind of were not yet set up into the promised land yet, but that's kind of where it's going, and it helps you to understand. Um, so right now, the people of Israel are on this bank. They haven't settled the promised land, and they're at Mount Nebo on the east bank, looking west, and Moses is looking west from the top. And he's given, and this is such a mercy of God, to be able to be given the opportunity to see the promised land. I think oftentimes we can focus on the negative, how Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land due to his sin. But even in God's discipline of Moses in relation to sin, which, which, which definitely feels sharp to us, um, there's a mercy of God that Moses is allowed to see the promised land. And so the time period is about 1406 B.C. is is the time here when Moses looked out over uh, from Mount Nebo, and they are just completing their 40 years of wilderness wandering. 
and they're right on the verge of going into the promised land. So that's the context of the passage of Scripture here this morning that we just read. And um, I've got two points from the passage this morning. Uh, The first is the best of men, the best of men. And then secondly, the permanence of God, the best of men. And point two, the permanence of God. Um, John Flabel, the Puritan pastor, uh, wrote this quote, and it was picked up later by J.C. Ryle as well. He just said that the best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. And that, that quote's been really ringing through my ears as I've been studying this passage of Scripture, preparing to preach it to you this morning. Because what you have here is a description in 33 and 34 of Moses just being such a blessing to the people of Israel. If you look at Deuteronomy uh, 33.1, it's such a great description of him here. If you look back down in there with me, this is the blessing with which Moses, and then look at the title given here uh, by the Lord. He's called the man of God. Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. I just love that phrase and that description. And uh, brothers in Christ, let it be our ambition to not just be men. It's important for us to be men. But let us be men of God. Before we are men of any other direction, let it be described of each and every one of us that that man is a man of God. Um, There's people who like to be called men of the world. There's people who like to be called men of business. Let our passion, each one of us brothers, be to be seen as. And let our own self-designation and ambition in our lives be men of God as Moses is described here in Deuteronomy 33.1. And ladies as well, let it be your ambition and your desire, ladies, to aspire to be ever deeper a woman of God. And I, I am so affected by this title here of just given to Moses because there's a number of descriptions of Moses here that I want to kind of hone in on here in Deuteronomy 33 and 34 that are actually really quite inspiring. Um, the other description of Moses in, in Deuteronomy 34 um, in the last chapter is it, it actually talks about Moses in verse 5, if you look there with me. So Moses, the servant of the Lord. So he's called the man of God and he's called the servant of Yahweh. What a great description again. And uh, brothers, a real target for our ambition. If you want to be ambitious in life, Be ambitious for these things. Let us all, brothers and sisters, let us all harness our hearts in the direction of being men of God, servants of Yahweh. And Moses here also described as, there has not arisen, verse 10, a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. There was an intimate relationship with the Lord that Moses had, that was set apart even from the rest of the people of Israel. 
Moses loved the Lord and he knew the Lord and the Lord knew him and he spoke with him as he speaks to a man face to face. And, and that, that's a description of the intimacy with Yahweh. The intimacy with God that Moses had. And again, of all the things that we can be passionate about in this life, let it be that we are passionate worshipers of God. We are passionate in knowing God and being known by Him. That we commune with God, brothers and sisters. Let Moses' example and these description of, descriptions of Him really inspire each and every one of us. Um, there, there's a real zeal that Moses displays all the way through the entire 40 years of wilderness wandering. He was really enduring a lot of times just the impatience and at times the slander of God's people Israel. And he just did not give up serving the Lord. I love verse 7 of Deuteronomy 34. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. There's certainly a physical component to this, but there's also a spiritual component. of There's a zeal for God. There's a vigor in Moses and his service, even toward the end of his life, brothers and sisters, that should really inspire each and every one of us. There's a zeal that Moses displays that we very much should emulate. J.C. Ryle, speaking of the importance of zeal in the life of a believer, says this, A zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. It is not enough to say that he is earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He's swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Isn't that awesome? Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame. For all this, the zealous man or the zealous woman cares nothing at all. He or she, they burn for one thing. And that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. Isn't that a great quote? I love that quote by J.C. Ryle, who was a pastor in England in the 1800s, actually during the same time period as Charles Spurgeon ministered in London. J.C. Ryle uh, was across town as an Anglican preaching the same gospel as Spurgeon the Baptist. And it's so wonderful to see the way the gospel goes forth through, as the brothers and sisters mentioned this morning, through Christ Community Church preaching the gospel and also through OPC churches preaching the gospel and Churches of many different denominations that are being faithful to preach the gospel. We celebrate all of them. And we ask for God to bless with power the preaching and the heralding of the gospel all over our city, all over our area, and all over the world. Because we thank God for what God's doing through us and our family of churches and Sovereign Grace churches. And it's okay to get excited about that and to be passionate about our common mission with our sister churches. But you know what? 
it's great to see the gospel advancing through many different denominations as well and to celebrate the way the Lord is advancing his gospel in that way. But you see here with J.C. Ryle, one of the things he talks in about here in that zeal quote that really Moses exemplifies, it says here that whether he lives or whether he dies, his focus is on pleasing God. So I read in Deuteronomy 32 in those last four verses in 48 through 52, how God said to Moses, Moses, go up to Mount Nebo and you're going to die there. You're not going to go into the promised land, but you will see it. What's so amazing is Moses' response to that in 33. I could very easily have seen it be another moment, potentially, and we don't know how much it may have tempted Moses. We know he really wanted to go into the promised land because he, he appealed to God numbers of times to go into the promised land. Finally, the Lord earlier in Deuteronomy actually said, Moses, I, I, this is, this matter settled. You're not going to see, you're not going to go into the promised land. You're going to see it, but you're not going to go into it because you broke faith with me and you did not uphold me as holy before the people by the waters of Meribah. You remember that? He, the Lord told him to speak to the rock and the water would come out and Moses disobeyed. It might seem slight to us, but he struck the rock twice and he, and he called the people of God rebels as he did. He was obviously potentially frustrated with the way the people of God were, were, were disobeying the Lord, but also making things hard on him. And it seemed for a very, uh, for a moment there, Moses stumbled. And instead of representing the Lord and being moved by how the people's sins were affecting God, Moses seemed to make it, it seems in that moment about himself and his own frustration, anger came out. He struck the rock twice, called the people rebels. And what's amazing, and we looked at this earlier, was that God still brought the water out. He's so gracious. He's so merciful, God is. But there were consequences to Moses' sin. Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land in direct correspondence to that disobedience, and neither was Aaron. And what we see here is that Moses immediately hears this And he doesn't say to God, God, you haven't given me what I wanted. That's not fair. After all I've done for you, I'm going to, you know what, I'm done with this, God. If you don't give me what I want, God, I'm not going to give you my heart. He he submits under the mighty hand of the sovereign authority of God saying, you're going to see it, but you're not going to go into it. And you know what Moses does in Deuteronomy 33? He blesses the people of Israel. That might seem like, well, yeah, of course he would do that. He's their leader. He says earlier in the Pentateuch to the people of God that it's because of you that I'm not going in. But his response is when he is encountering the sin of God's people and Encountering it again and again and again, and even experiencing consequences in his own life related to, in part, he chose to get angry and he chose to disobey God on his own. That was all of his own sin, Moses's. But he was tempted, he was provoked. And you don't see him say, that's it, I'm going to go and just leave this people and not serve God's people any longer because God's people let me down. Moses the man of God that he is, blesses the people of Israel. God uses him as his mouthpiece 
to pronounce prophetic blessing on the people of Israel as they're about ready to go into the promised land. He serves and he ministers to the parents, the people of his own generation. And Moses also doesn't give up in his old age, but uses every bit of his strength to propel the next generation on into faith and the followership of God. Brothers and sisters, as we get older, there could be a temptation for all of us to just think, you know what, I've put in my time with God. I've, I've, I've done the church thing all of my life. I've, I've gone and worshipped. I have served in church all my life. I've just been at it, at it, at it, at it, at it. And you know what? Enough's enough. It's, it's my time now. Brothers and sisters, I think Moses shines an example to us here. 120 years old. He's about ready to die. And part of the reason he's not going to experience the blessing is because the people that he had so faithfully served all those years let him down. What you don't see is bitterness. What you don't see is a, a charging of God of you're not fair, God, in the way you're dealing with me. You see a very much like a First Peter, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and a, and a uh, a yes, sir, and yes, father, on my knees, trembling heart that, that goes up and, and, and looks over the promised land and dies up on top without ever having gone in. And you don't get the sense that Moses died a bitter man, but a believing man. And let us really be affected by his example. He was one of the very best of men. But even that, brothers and sisters, as we looked at earlier from John Flavel, the best of men are men at best. Moses was flawed. Moses failed God. Moses sinned against God. We get a glimpse of the holiness of God. It's been a theme this morning. When we see that for even one sin, it kept Moses out of the promised land from going into it. That ought to affect us with the way we trifle with sin. We make excuses for sin. We minimize sin. And we take a quick glance at it and then we move on. And we don't want to look at it all. Let us all recognize that even with the passage of time, the passage of time alone did not atone and cannot atone for sin. The sins that I committed when I was five years old are just as alive before God now, unless someone atones for it, unless someone does something about it. I can live my entire life being as good as I can possibly be, trying to be as moral as I can possibly be, and so could you. But friend, we can never, ever atone for sin on our own. And it's just as vivid and real in God's mind. Every single act of rebellion we've ever committed, it's living before Him in His mind. And even for one, it's enough to keep Moses out of the promised land. Brothers and sisters, it shows us there, because our sensibilities can be slightly shocked by sentiments like that in Scripture and truths like that in Scripture. Let it remind us of how holy God is and how evil and wicked sin is, 
Even sins that we look at and say, that's not really that big of a deal. God, you said, you told Moses to speak to the rock and he struck it and you brought the water out and everything's good here, right? All he did was just not obey you for a second and he struck the rock twice and you had him strike the rock before and now you told him to speak it. What's the big deal here? He broke faith, God said. And he also failed to uphold God as holy before the people. Let all of us be sobered by that. Let us all be representatives in our households of the holiness of God and not trifle with sin and be an example. Let us, brothers and sisters, practice what we preach and where we see discrepancies in that. Let us get on our knees and repent over the remaining sin that we have. Let's not minimize sin and act as if sin's no big deal. Let us look at Moses and see his example and how he continued to serve the Lord even after he received consequences for his sin and let us be affected that the best of men are men at best. Well, except for one. The best of men are men at best unless there's a man who could be absolutely perfect and flawless. And then we see that the best of men is a perfect man who can die in our place on a cross and shed his perfect blood to atone for the sins of our entire lives that are ever living before a holy God and which certainly would have cast us into hell and justly forever if a perfect man didn't come. But the best of men wasn't Moses. And the best of men wasn't Joshua mentioned here. And the best of men is Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. And he is a man who was flawless. He is a man who was perfect. And Christ came. And he shed his blood in order to atone for our sins. So that it says in the rest of the Scriptures, Now, our sins which were just as much alive in God's eyes that I committed when I was five years old to where I'm at now, it actually says the Lord chooses to remember our sins no more. All because of the gospel of grace. All because the best of men came and conquered where all the rest of men failed. And I'm just so happy for the gospel of grace. I'm so happy and thankful for Jesus Christ, aren't you? I know you are. But the best of men sins and the best of men dies. You've got to have it land on you here that Moses has been with this people all the way through. They're about ready to enter and cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land. And their leader isn't going to be with them. He was with them all the way. But Moses is a man after all, and not only does man sin, but man also dies. And there's an impermanence to man. And you look at Deuteronomy 34, and there's a flash and a ray of hope as the spotlight turns to where we're going next in Joshua, where Joshua was a man full of the Spirit, and 
Moses laid his hands on Joshua and Joshua took up the mantle and and there's a flash of hope as you look to, okay, here's the next leader who's going to be here. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, the people of Israel's hope and our hope cannot ever be in any man except the God-man, Jesus Christ. I can't help but think that Moses, after all of this time, and even as as the baton's getting passed here into the next generation going into the wilderness, that what so motivates Moses in that precious psalm, Psalm chapter 90, verse 1, where Moses says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever You had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. It's like Moses is saying here, you can't have your hope in a Joshua. You can't even have your hope that you're going to get settled in the promised land here. As good as getting settled in the promised land is. Don't ever forget, people of God, that the Lord is your dwelling place. It's so it just struck my heart after meditating on Psalm 90 and just studying this passage again and again. Look at verse 27 of 33. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. <laughs> you want to know why I love the Old Testament and reading the Old Testament? Because I love New Testament verses. Put those up on your fridge. But don't miss putting up on the fridge Deuteronomy 33, 27. Because that is just sweet comfort from the Holy Spirit to our soul. The eternal God is your dwelling place. It's a description here of everything in this fallen world being marked with some sort of impermanence. Even being in the promised land. God is telling them, you're going to rebel against me, and because of your sin, you're going to be exiled. So even as they're settling in the promised land and enjoying the land flowing with milk and honey, there's this sense of foreboding that because of sin and rebellion, that God's people are going to need to go into exile, and there's an impermanence. They build a temple, but then it's destroyed. And, And there's just this sense where the Lord is again and again seeking to get God's people to listen to what Moses is saying in Psalm 90 and listen to verse 27, that the eternal God, Christ Community Church, is our dwelling place. We are going to be passionate as your pastors, and may we all be passionate together to make sure we all focus one another's gaze, not on anything in the here and now in this fallen world, to set our heart, to rely upon, to to count on it. Everything about this life has a sense of impermanence about it. Except one thing. And that's God Himself. And if you've got God, that's why Moses says in Psalm 32 in the Song of Moses, He's the rock. It's permanent. Uh, we were having fellowship with friends just this past week, and 
we were just talking about the dynamic. I don't know if you can face this at all, but how hard it can be sometimes to look at old pictures or old videos. I don't know if any of you resonate with this. Maybe some of you can, but when you look at pictures that you recently took, they can kind of have, a, oh, that was cool. I remember that. When you look at pictures from like five, ten years ago, and you'll get that sometimes on Facebook where you'll get a five-year memory or later pop up and, or somebody will send it to you. Uh, one, of, one of my friends actually said this past week, one of the things that they want to do is they want to jump back in that picture and experience it again, but also be at their very best in that picture. And there's a sense sometimes when you look at pictures of that time is gone and it's never coming back again. It's, it's, it's past. And, and so there's just this sense of you see pictures and you smile and you see a video and you embrace it and there's a joy, but there's also a reminder of the brevity of life. There's a reminder of the impermanence of the things in this fallen world. And brothers and sisters, moments like that are, are meant to cause us to loosen our grip on the things of this world and not cling to the things of this world, even the things that are dearest to us, as if they are somehow going to be permanent. There is one thing. There is only one that will be permanent that you will be able to lay hold of who will be, be with you now and forevermore like a sure and steady rock that never changes never ages, never sleeps, never slumbers. And that is our rock, Yahweh. Our rock, Jesus Christ, who laid down His life for us. Oh, dear friends, as we reflect on point two, the permanence of God, let us remember that God is our rock and not even, even His blessings are never meant to be laid hold of by us as His people, as our rock. We can't hold on to anything or anyone, even our spouse or our loved ones or our kids or, or, or some hope for the future as, as, as a substitute rock. I'm going to hold on to that and that's going to give me hope. God wants to rest our grip off of those things that don't have a permanence to them and place our grip squarely onto Him and Him alone who loved us and gave himself for us on the cross. From generation to generation, God is just there. He makes the promise to Abraham. And before they go into slavery in Egypt, and all the way through their time of slavery in Egypt, you're talking about over 400 years. And the promise he made 400 years earlier is just as alive to him as if he made it a second ago. We forget promises we made. God never forgets a promise he makes. And he remembers it as one generation passes on to the next, our awesome God. And as Moses serves God's people, and as Moses ages, and even with all of his vigor, does what all men and all women must do. Die. It's a reminder to us as the baton passes from Moses to Joshua. Thank God for Joshua, and thank God 
for godly leaders, godly men and women that we can look to and say, wow, Lord, thank you so much for the gift and the blessing they are. But Lord, we are never meant to put our hope in a Moses and we are never meant to put our hope in a Joshua. Lord, you have been our dwelling place from generation to generation. And we are meant to be affected by the reality, brothers and sisters, that one generation will pass away in the wilderness and another generation will rise up and take its place. Our hope can't even be in the next generation. Our hope for the next generation isn't in how well we lead in the present, how faithful we are, thank God. Our hope for our children and our children's children and our great-grandchildren if God grants them and for everything down the line of our hopes for God's people and for God's church. It's not in men, and it never meant was meant to be put in mere men. Thank God that the eternal God is our dwelling place. Thank God that there is one who is immutable and who does not change. Moses dies, and Joshua starts out fresh, inexperienced. Same God. Same God. That's our hope, Christ community. As we look at our lives, as you look at your future, as as you and I together look at 2019, God has been our dwelling place in 2018. And we praise Him for His faithfulness. And God will be with us. God will be with you every step of the way heading into 2019 as well. Every step you take, every hair upon your head, when you sit and when you rise, He sees your thoughts from afar. He is acquainted intimately with all of your ways. He knows everything about you and knows you better than you know yourself. And those of you who have repented of your sins and trusted in Him, He loves you, even despite all of that. Oh, surely He has indeed loved us. So much so, that He sent His only Son. I want us to all reflect now that our eternal dwelling place, our rock, sent His only Son down to die as the ushers begin to serve communion to us. Let us meditate on the truth. Let us let go of the things that we cling to to try to find permanence and security. Things we try to count on here other than God. And let us, ushers, that you can begin to come forward and begin to hand out the elements for communion. As we do, church, let us pray. Let us get our hearts right with God. Let us repent where we need to repent of our sins. Let us place fresh faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son. Let us, as we ponder and give thanks to God for His faithfulness in 2018, let us 
ponder that our rock is going to be with us in 2019 as well. And let us be comforted with that truth. Because the rock, His work is perfect. Every man has failed except one, the God-man, Jesus Christ. If He had failed even once, if Christ had stumbled even once, hell would have been the eternal future of every one of us in here. But because the best of men the prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ, never stumbled, never failed, was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. By trusting in Him this morning and His finished work on the cross, all your sins can be forgiven. Oh, brothers and sisters, ponder this. All of your sins and all of my sins. Which consider the gravity of this for a moment. Even one of what we would call our, quote, little sins. Would have been enough to secure eternity in hell for us forever. Just one. It would have been enough to keep us out of the promised land. The true promised land. Heaven. But because God sent His servant, the servant of God, and because God sent His Son, the man of God, and because God sent a prophet like one of the brothers of Israel, like Deuteronomy 18 promised, who truly was a greater prophet even than great Moses, who prophesied of his death and his resurrection on the third day numerous times during his earthly life, who prophesied the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD, that great prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ, that perfect God-man, laid His life down willingly on the cross, screamed out in agony when He was made sin for you, beloved. So great was the love of God for you that He sent His own Son to have His body be crushed and broken so that He might shed His blood to make satisfaction of His very own righteous wrath directed toward us. Christ absorbed the wrath that you would have received in hell. Christ exhausted the wrath, brothers and sisters, who have believed of all of your sins. Through His shed blood on the cross, He's atoned for them. So this morning, as we partake of communion, 
Let us thank Him for this. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is My body. Let us partake of the body of Christ. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You know, I was thinking about this before we partake of the cup. What is spoken of at the end of Deuteronomy is Moses being the only one that could interact with the Lord face to face. Because of Christ's shed blood on the cross, atoning for our sins, satisfying the wrath of God against our sins, reconciling us to our Holy Heavenly Father, we're going to enjoy Jesus face to face in the kingdom of God forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, enjoy remembering Christ by partaking of the cup. Tom, the worship team, if you could return, we're going to appropriately close in singing praise to God how his faithfulness remains from generation to generation. Moses lives and dies and Joshua lives and dies. But God is our dwelling place from one generation to the next. The Lord has been our dwelling place. Aren't you so thankful for that? Let us all stand and close in worship. From generation to generation, God never fails us, Christ Community Church. Amen? He has been so good to us. So thankful that we can go forward into 2019 and not have some mist of a hope that somehow 2019 will be better than 18. Aren't you so thankful? You have been our dwelling place. From generation to generation. From everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Amen. What a great God. I'm going to pray in just a moment for our lunch. Um, a couple details before we do that. Um, I, I want to thank uh, Jason and Julie White for organizing our Cornelia lunch. Uh, thank you, Jason and Julie. And for all the servants who brought food today. We are very grateful after the holidays. Uh, for you to be doing that, to serve our church. Um, uh, Jerry Acarino mentioned to me that we're going to need to br- uh, break the chairs down and set the tables up quickly, so we're going to need all helping hands that we can get. Um, we'll need you to get your children as well. What we're going to do, we're going to try something a little different with the uh, lines today. We're going to have the people who don't have kids go first and to move as quickly as possible through the line, getting your food so that the kids don't have to wait very long. 
Um, but that way we think that we'll be able to get through the line maybe a little bit quicker. We'll experiment. We'll see. Um, but let's pray and uh, ask for the Lord to, uh, to bless our lunch. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to have Koinonia now, to have fellowship. I pray that our conversations would be glorifying and pleasing to you and edifying, that they would build one another up and help us to see Jesus better, and that we would encourage one another as your church, as your people should. God, we thank you so much that you're going to be with us in 2019 as you have been faithful and with us every step of the way in 18. We praise you. And we thank you that that's true for every one of us in our individual lives. And we thank you that that's true for our local church as well. We love you. And we're so excited for our future together with you. Because you're leading us. And we love you for that. Thank you for sending your son to die for us, to save us from our sins. Bless this food to our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He's awesome, isn't he, church? Enjoy lunch together. God bless you.